Hey, by the way, do not today mention the Big Cat Act, you know, that legislation that's sitting on Biden's desk for signature. We're going to save that to next week. So do not mention it. Do you get it? Yes, sir. Okay, well, let's get it on. Okay. Hey, it's the Bro Show. Hey, hey. We're brothers. We're brothers. I'm Jerry. And what's your name? My name's John. Yeah, we're real brothers. Not that fake stuff you read about. No, uh-uh. Same mom, same real dad. Real. And mm. what do we do every Saturday morning? We do the Bro Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a podcast been going on for a while. We are in our 11th season, and this is the 25th episode. We have mm. 27 episodes. Actually, we have 26, but we skipped 13. So yep. we have a whole bunch of episodes, one a week. That means six months is a season. Every season has an animal. And what's our animal now, John? Our animal is the tiger. That's right. So one of the things we talk about every week is a tiger story. And we're going to have one for you today. Pretty good one. Also, we have a word, a word that we found in our research we wanted to share with you. We define it, use it, abuse it. (laughs) Thirdly, we have two takes on a major event or topic. Lastly, we have two groaners. These These are bad jokes. Bad jokes. Ooh, nasty stuff. Yeah. But nasty we survive it. We do. Yeah. So that's, hey, hey. that's where you are. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, what are you wearing? You got anything on? I do. Above actually. the belt. Above the belt. Above the belt, of course. Yes. Uh, I have Season of the Ox t-shirt. Oh, sugar. That's a good one. Is, didn't it? Yeah, I didn't go too far down my pile, and I, I just couldn't resist doing the uh, Season of the Lizard. Uh, oh, sure. With the, it, it, yeah, it's just that, that that lizard is so photogenic in the in the you know the illustration we have on the shirt. Mm. And it's also very comfortable too. Yes, it is. This is important for us older guys with thin skin. Okay, yeah, well, that's what I'm wearing. So hey, we have a sponsor, don't we? So our sponsor is Big Cat Rescue. Uh, their mission is to provide the best doggone home they can for cats of any. For their uh, care, that could be panthers, leopards, uh, lions, and tigers. And they're into advocating the end of abusing big cats and also looking towards making sure that these animals do not become extinct. So they've been in existence for 30 years. They're a 501c3 awarded by various uh, you know, organizations. And, uh, and boy, there's one thing that we really... Uh, attracts us to this this organization and that they've got swag they do indeed they've got some great t-shirts uh john's got one the best people have one and you want to be the best people they also make you more handsome Ooh, yeah and, and you know what? they feel good they feel good too yes they, they, they they're yeah they're textile Ooh, tactile tile mm. Mm. so you can get them uh, through the links we have provided for you in the show notes. You can also make an outright donation. And don't forget, they have 30th anniversary T-shirts available starting three weeks ago. And we have a link to those also in the show notes. Wow. Such a deal. Yeah. yeah. I think we got a tiger story. And this is what I call the Tiger Trilogy. We're, we're finishing up with the third installment of what I call matchups with 
having tigers go against various animals. We started with the Bengal tiger vs. Siberian tiger. Then we had the Siberian tiger going against the uh, going against a lion. And for the third installment, we're going to take a trip by way of the, the Wayback Machine and go back to prehistoric times and take a look at what would happen if we had a fight between, uh, you know, a saber-toothed tiger and a woolly mammoth. And what's interesting about this is you say we quite often see pictures of this, paintings, and they illustrate whereby it usually looks like saber tigers maybe taking munching a little bit there yeah. on uh, on its prey. But what we do find out is that, and, and you found a very good article from Forbes magazine, it gave us a lot of good insight as to how they could figure out who would win. And uh, it'd be kind of interesting. So maybe you could give us a little insight as to uh, how we can figure out and who would be the winner. Yeah, this is this is a fascinating uh, comparison. First of all, I, wa- <laughs> I wondered why anyone would do this and why it got published in Forbes, right? <laughs> Forbes, yeah, such a, a, a great source. I mean, a yeah. very good magazine. Well, there's a reason why people do this sort of analysis, and the reason they're doing it is because uh, there used to be a time when there were huge herbivores roaming the earth in general, giant sloths, uh, mastodons, woolly mammoths, large animals that would eat so much plant life that they could wipe out the plant life in an area. So they needed predators to prey on them so they wouldn't overpopulate. Right. Balance of nature. Yes. Right. So that's why people did this research is that they are looking at reintroducing as many of these large herbivores as possible because the population of elephants is getting low and they're making plans ah. for if they gets too low. And if, it, right. if they get the population back up, they will need to regulate it and they'll need predators to keep them in check. So that's how that's all pretty- this got done. Wow, that's very good. Very good background. Yeah, so, here's, but here, we've got well, the outcome, large animal. The outcome? But, yeah, I want an outcome. Yeah, you know, right. I'm a bottom line guy. I know you are. You're an accountant. So here's the way it worked. Uh, would work if we went back in time. First of all, in order for this to really work, saber-toothed tigers would have to hunt in packs, and there is some evidence that they do. Modern-day tigers, as you know, John, do not. All right. So they had a different habitat, too. They had the same habitat as elephants, which is not the jungle necessarily. It's more likely grassy savannas and places with lots of vegetation. So that's the lay of the land here. And yes, calculating the total mass of a woolly mammoth versus the total mass of a saber toothed tiger, which would be twice the size of a modern day tiger right and also obviously they had larger fangs they had huge uh, canine teeth which made them gave them the name saber-toothed so that's kind of the lay of the land and calculating all that stuff uh, a pack or even a single saber-toothed tiger could take down a nine-year-old woolly mammoth a juvenile right and they had all the pounds calculated, and we have a link to the article. You'll enjoy reading it. It's a nice short read, but it's jam-packed, and it's very good. So that's what it would take. And if they worked in a pack, in a pack, they would have to be very strategic 
Uh, one or more tigers would go for the throat uh, to bring down this uh, large pachyderm. And another one or two would have to go after the Achilles tendon. Oh, that's to yeah, to bring, yeah. Yeah, to bring mobilize. To mobilize. Right. They would also have to isolate the mothers and aunts and uh, fathers in in the uh, pachyderm pack. Right. So it's it would not be easy. And uh, this would be a big meal for these cats, but it mm-hmm. would be hard fought. I found the most interesting piece to me was the idea of how do you come up with the weight of a of a, uh, a mammoth, prehistoric mammoth. And I thought uh, what they did is by taking the skeletal the structure of it and then seeing that size compared to an elephant and then extrapolating through some sort of algorithm, they could come up with a weight, you know, something a young adult being 15,000 pounds for the mammoth. And to make it even more difficult, keep in mind, it is very difficult to get the weight of a tiger. It's hard to get them on a scale and keep them <laughs> on the scale. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. That, so, that's, why, that's why it's hard to weigh you. You know, you, <laughs> you're part cougar. I think everybody knows that. Yeah, I uh, in fact it's it's so bad that you know what I've done I've given up I don't have a scale in my house I just gave up I wow. Just gave up. wow wow <laughs> how you know so much about tigers hey listen I think we got a word too don't we yes we do we do have a word and it's it's a it's a word that it seems to be a, a pretty prevalent in in conversations now for a variety of reasons federation. Yeah, and uh, I'll give a little bit of a of the of the definition, et cetera, and you can perhaps give us a good example. Oh, yeah. uh, federation is the act of federating or uniting in a league. So what it is, it's entities that come together are uh, loosely joined, uh, not where one is on top of all the others, and they work together. So what we've got is uh, you've got a pretty good example there. Why don't you run with it? Okay. okay, let me read it to you here, and this is from you know. Star Wars has become a big part of our culture, and this is a, this is from Star Wars lore. Okay, mm. the Federation or the Confederacy was the successor to the now defunct New Republic, and the resistance following defeat the defeat of the First Order and destruction of Starkiller's base. The Federation absorbed the military leadership of both the Resistance and the New Republic. Now, that's going to sound a little nerdy to most people, but if you've watched Star Wars, Princess Leia and Luke and Han Solo and these characters, they are all working together in what's called the Federation. And they are working against the Imperial Order, the monolithic, terrible bad guys that Darth Vader and his master are all part of. And so there's this dark versus light war going on of a mammoth uh, universal proportions. And so it's out of this kind of Star Wars lore that one fellow, one guy started a massive movement based on a close relative of Mm. the woolly mammoth we just talked about. Oh, yeah, there's connections everywhere. Yep. It's everywhere. It's like Chicken Man. <laughs> so, so, wow. Yeah. 
So very good. This takes well, us, this yeah. takes us in our two takes, John. Well, listen, our two takes is going to be uh, about uh, recent events that have taken place. And we all read about Twitter and Elon Musk uh, uh, purchasing it. And as a result of him purchasing, there's been a race, a race between the executives and the and the uh, the employees to get out the door as they exit. There's an exit <laughs> strategy. So as they're leaving, what's happening, of course, is concerns to deal with the, the capabilities of, of this uh, social media platform. And we find a lot of the Twitter customers are migrating to other media platforms. And probably yes. the prime benefactor of this customer exit has been Mastodon. Uh, and what's what's interesting about it is that as we, we find out about this other means by which we can uh, communicate, uh, we also find that it has some differences. It has some similarities. It's got, you know, you can, uh, it, it has a, the, the capability of, of, you know, doing the tweets, which they, they have different name for, and we can do all that, but it's got some really interesting benefits. So first yeah. thing, give the behind the, the scene facts are, this is a, a fairly new uh, platform. It was established in 2016 by Eugene uh, Rochko, uh, a 29-year-old uh, European a German tech whiz, he started developing Mastodon while in college because he just got tired of Twitter and its structure of single ownership and control. So what do we have right now? We've got about 7,500 servers. Uh, over a million people have just recently, over the last month of November, joined, bringing a total of almost 6 million users. But let me tell you, that's a, that's a moving number. I see all kinds of anywhere from 5 million to 8 million so, but the, the bottom line is that is going up. So it's um, a it's a federation of servers. Yes, that's exactly right. It's and maybe you can talk a little bit about the, you know, how that that works. It is a it's not one single server, not one guy controlling right. the show, but rather a free open source software that uh, other people can use for mm. running their own self-hosted social networking services and so yep. it's got the blocking features like Twitter but it's got some it's got some differences and uh yeah so that federation is 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 a key it's called quite often Fediverse is yes. is the is the network upon all of these and the good news is you can go on one server but you're not necessarily confined to communicating within that server you can communicate it with the others it's sort of like taking a look at email yeah. And saying, you know what, I've got an AOL address. And by, by the way, I'm thinking of stepping up a, a bit and go to Yahoo uh, 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 email. But uh, that's oh, another wow. story. Wow. <laughs> Breaking <Small> news. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like AOL can communicate with, with uh, uh, Gmail uh, is, is kind of the, the example of the way it works. So uh, Twitter, what we've got is we've got an organization which is supported by revenue uh, primarily through advertising and maybe membership fees. But here with this federation, we don't rely upon that uh, at that source. In fact, they use, uh, but they have user donations. And actually most of the servers, uh, many of them are, they're all by unpaid volunteers who want to, do, to support it themselves and don't even ask for donations. That's Some right. of them do. So the running costs are pretty minimal, and uh, and they and what we find is that even with the donations, it's not what you call heavy donation base. There's only 3,500 people 
they've considered as of the end of November that are actually donating. Yep. So you're talking no investors, no venture capital. It's made up of this thousand independently owned and run servers, which makes it virtually impossible for anybody to to, to, to buy or own. And anybody can start a server. And I thought, well, could I actually start a server? Well, actually, it's possible, theoretically, I would say, because you don't need necessarily the tech skills and you don't need a lot of money. In fact, if you are uh, really that ignorant of tech, you could get a hosting service for as little as like eight dollars a month and be able to do all the all the techie stuff for you. So, hey, do we have rules? Uh, Well, the fact is, each of these servers has its own set of rules. So that if you maybe are offended or don't like something, you can jump from one server to the other and take with you all your followers. So uh, and these rules are are locally enforced by each of of the servers. Uh, Mastodon empowers the user. So that means that you don't have to uh, worry about if, if the content you you control virtually the kind of content that goes that you look at. Uh, you don't have to worry about Big Brother watching you and all of a sudden setting up an algorithm that force feeds into you uh, various sources of pieces of information. So that's just kind of a, in a nutshell. But maybe you can talk a little bit more on a, on how it works, too. Yeah, uh, you did an excellent job there. That is a good description of what the Fediverse is all about. And uh, it's it's really a cool idea. And it sounds like a cool idea because it is a cool idea. And Diversity is a good thing. And having everybody have a safe place they can go to pursue their interests. For instance, I'm a musician. You know, if I want to, I can join a, uh, a server that has a lot of guitarists on it. There's even a server for drummers. There's, you know, there's a server for sports. John's joined one of those, all sports. Yes. You know? And there's even one for Chicago. He could have joined one for Chicago called Big Shoulders. Right. So right. and there's a, there's a whole list of these things. We have a good link that contains Feta tips, which are tips right. for joining the Fediverse. You know, may the force be with you, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really it really is a light and dark kind of thing right now. And, you know, originally uh, this thing was born of the resistance, resisting the monolithic corporation and advertisers. And that's why Eugene started this whole thing. But it's taken on another dimension. Its early surge of membership came from marginalized groups who were being abused on Facebook and Twitter. And they joined. And these were people from the LGBTQ uh, community. They were, you know, people who also traditionally didn't have a place to go like the furries. And so they have servers on the Fediverse. And even some weirdos and people. (laughs) <laughs> as if I haven't named any <laughs> uh, other people, you know, who are generally uh, maligned went there, too. And this includes the bad guys, too, like Nazis and what have you. But guess what? There's a built in safeguard that Eugene thought of very early on. And if uh, a server starts spewing hate language, an alert goes out to all the wow. servers that lets them know about this rogue mm. server and they can block him and they've done that there is one that hosts nazis wow guess what they're all by themselves <laughs> well i think one thing that was emphasized you gave me another thing in terms of joining 
don't get too caught up in where you join because where you join is just a, it's a pathway that is going to open a door that allows you to go in many different directions as you start collecting followers and, and work on it. And you can easily flip to another one. So right now, the major one that Eugene is is developed is the Mastodon uh, Social, is it? Yeah, uh, Mastodon.Social. Uh, social. And it's got the heavier amount, and that's what you've joined. Yeah. And it's it, so if you're kind of twiddling your thumbs and say, I don't know where to start, you probably can't go wrong by starting there. Right. Um, and so that I think that's important. Don't get too hung up on the on the start. And uh, that's one thing I think that needs to be emphasized. So, yeah. Now, you, Eugene has closed membership to his server this week. So you can ooh. try. There's another Mastodon dot social that they spell Mastodon without any vowels. Ah, good so, point. Yeah, thank M- you for pointing yeah. that out. They are there are some clothes. You're going to run into some that you're going to see a, they're no longer accepting membership. And I think in this, in the good news, and there's a good reason probably for doing this. This is one thing that's been great about Mastodon, is as much trouble as Twitter has right now. The good news is that this enormous number of people or users that are coming over to Mastodon has not hurt their performance of overall the way it works. No, not at and all. That, and probably a lot of that, uh, you have to give credit to the fact that it does have so many different servers out there. Yep. So that makes it uh, easier to, 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 to have this enormous number, this input of people at this at this time. So, yeah, yeah it, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a great idea. Uh, and this was the idea of the Internet in the first place, is that it would be open and it was for people to exchange ideas. And I found, generally speaking, uh, since I've done a lot of work on this in the last week and done done a lot of tooting and and retooting and all this stuff, they don't tweet, they toot. Uh, and, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I've met a lot of interesting people on it. I'd say, generally speaking, uh, the level of interest that people have in academics and in yeah. fringe uh, ideas and thoughts and stuff like that is much higher much more alternate thinking in kind of people. Uh, it's freewheeling. It's friendly. I have not encountered any hate speech or any weird stuff at all on here. Uh, and also no conspiracy nutcase stuff. So mm. I would say, you know, compared to my experience on Facebook and my experience on Twitter, I like this a lot. And you can do almost all the same stuff you could do on Twitter, only you have more control. I'll give you a, one example, and then we can move on, John. Uh, the okay. one example. I would give are there's a thing I've always used on Twitter called lists uh, and you can create a list of all the people you find interesting personally to yourself. Like I like to follow authors that I read. So I had a list of authors on Twitter that I followed. And so I thought to myself, well, can I do a list on, on Mastodon? Turns out I can. But the difference is I cannot make my list public. It's only private. Ah. And see, Lists were a good thing on Twitter, but people misused them by making they they chose to make them public and you could get a list of people you could attack. Oh, dear. And so bad guys use the list in a bad way. Well, oh, Eugene, dear. Eugene thought that through. And so he created all the architecture, all the code, everything that has to do with with the protocols that are used and all the rules and stuff like that. And he now has help. So he doesn't have to do it by himself. It's open source. So it's easy to get help. 
And uh, this is this is all done very well. Is it ideal? Is it completely simple and easy to do? No, not yet. And it probably never will be. There's always going to be a level of complexity so that, you know, not everyone is going to find this attractive. But I think a large number of people are going to find it attractive. Academia has really embraced it. Aren't journalists also journalists? Yeah, you just were going to say the same thing I was, journalists. They have really embraced it also. And you'll find there's a mass migration of journalists who have come over to Mastodon. My friend Sarah, who we talk about quite a bit, who's from Australia, uh, she's a tech person, you know, and she all the tech people she followed on Twitter, she now follows on Mastodon and she's severing all her connections with Twitter. And got it. Yeah. A lot of people just feel safer here. And a lot of people are really enjoying the level of discourse, which is a lot of freight. Hey, do we have groaners? Do we have some groaners? Our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as the coach. And I've got two groaners. Uh, so here, we'll, let's get started on them. Uh, when the, uh, since we've got a little bit of soccer going on, uh, why don't we use a soccer groaner? So here it is. Why did the soccer player not get penalized for touching the ball with his hands? Why did the soccer player not get penalized for t- for touching the ball with his hands? I I can't imagine unless he was the goalie. You got it. That's the answer. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, listen, you're on wait, a roll. Wait, wait, that's not funny. <laughs> what? It's a it's but it'll make you groan. <laughs> oh man, you're right about that. Well, you know what the answer, I would say that that's not funny. That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bill Murray. Describes. Okay. What did the otter call his wife? What did the otter call his wife? <laughs> I don't know. His significant otter. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That is excellent. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. But hey, look, one out of two, that's good in any any league. 